Hi, Hal Aaron here, and welcome to my podcast, Tales of the Road Warriors! Today we're talking with Lee Totten. Lee Totten has been performing and has been in several incarnations as a solo acoustic act, as well as with a full band. He's one of the original contributors to the Tales of the Road Warriors section of Little Hank's Guide for Songwriters, which was my award-winning website during the 90s. That's how we first met. We bonded online. I later met Lee in person when he flew out to California. I was hosting the Acoustic Soup open mic and showcase at the Book Grinders in Van Nuys, where he popped in and performed some of his original songs. It's been a long time since then. So in this conversation, we get caught up with a lot of things Lee's been up to over the years. And of course, he shares some of his very entertaining stories. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll be a blubbering emotional wreck. Okay, well, I may have exaggerated that last thing. Anyway, Lee is headlining his show for the first time in a long time. On May 25th, 7 p.m. at Waypoint Spirits in Bloomfield, Connecticut. His friends, LSD and Albino Tree, will be opening the show. They're donating all ticket sales to Fidelco Guide Dog Foundation. Great Waypoint Spirits cocktails, beer from Swing Oil Beer Company, and a custom cocktail created by The Barrel Age. Tickets are only $7.50 in advance and $10 at the door. And there's a link on the show uh, on the show notes page. So uh, click on it and go to the show. Okay, so Lee and I had a pretty long conversation, so we're going to get right to it. Real quick, before I do, I have a question. Regarding these long interviews, I could use your input. Would you prefer I broke the hour-long shows into part one and part two, or do you prefer to get the whole conversation at once and pause it at your convenience? I think there are pros and cons to doing it either way, so I'd appreciate it if you commented on the show notes page, or visit the Tales of the Road Warriors Facebook group, which is at facebook.com slash groups slash Tales Warriors. Okay, so let's not waste any more time. Here's Lee Totten. The Jaeger guy. That's um, right. I was, I was actually taking a Lee Totten crash chorus on YouTube just to see. <laughs> <laughs> Only to find out that, uh, thank you. Um, thank you, Jaegermeister. No, well, Ye- the Jaegermeister song and thank you, uh, what's the name of that bar? <laughs> oh, Soggy Dollar. Soggy Dollar. The song is probably shorter than the story. Oh, well, it was it was part of the whole Jaeger song, so they just recorded that part. But I did it at the end of the Jaeger song. Yeah. So they, they do own a bar, and I thought, well, maybe, right? Yeah. It, did you get kicked out of the Soggy Dollar? for? No, okay. I have never been to the Soggy Dollar bar. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you were like, that was, I thought you were being sarcastic going, thank you, Soggy Dollar, for not letting me play there because I got too drunk. No, I hoped if they put me on YouTube, they might invite me to come down and play there. Oh, there you we'll go. We'll see. That, 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 yeah. You want okay, to do a well, duo show if it happens? Yeah. And if they are listening to this, then they know <laughs> you want to play there. And, you're, you know, you're going to put on a great show and bring a lot of people. You got Philadelphia scheduled on a, a, a upcoming I, tour? I don't, but I'll get down there for sure. All right. Yep. So, Lee Totten, how are you? I am good, man. I was trying to remember the last time we actually saw each other, and I found a flyer, and I think it was at least 20 years ago uh, at a small coffee shop in Los Angeles. Well, what flyer? What, what was the coffee shop? 
Uh, it was the flyer for your open mic series that you did. And, uh, and I remember it because I had uh, discovered you on the Internet when you had Hal's Guide. And I had flown out there, I think, for the Grammys. Um, I was a voting member and used to take the guys from Jägermeister. And, uh, and, but you and I had connected online. And, and this is – people forget now it's so easy to make connections online, you know, between Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Uh, but back then there was not that kind of an online community yet. And, and your site was one of the first ones that kind of tried to bring – musicians and songwriters together and i think i came out and we played a played a small coffee shop where you had an open mic going on i'm trying to think of where you came to i'm not sure it was it might it was it the bookstore it, sorry it was a bookstore book yes, grinders right. it, it was, was book grinders because yes, that's yeah. the one yeah that's the one. Oh, um that's the one where i um where the little old lady drove through the glass, and not only did she put the open mic out of business, but she put the bookstore out. They, they never oh, recovered really? from that. Yeah, she thought the gas, you know, the old, I thought the gas was the brake thing. So, yeah, so she crashed a Cadillac through the front window of the bookstore. And I was really bummed because a couple of weeks before that, um, Ray Bradbury, I used to think it was Isaac Isamuff, but I checked it out recently. It was Ray Bradbury. He lived in Venice Beach. And um, anyway, so he was doing a book singing. He, he had written a book called The Zen of Writing. Bought the book, and I thought, oh, good. Ray Bradbury's coming to this bookstore, and I'm going to have him sign it. And then that happened, so never did get him to sign my book. That's a bummer. Um, um, I, you know, the other thing I remember about that trip was I had actually flown southwest to go to L.A., and we had to stop in Nashville, and, and, and we stopped in Nashville, and it was like 9 in the morning. And all of a sudden, all these musicians get on the plane. And I could kind of tell they were musicians. And one of them sat next to me. Um, they drank the plane out of beer by 1130. I don't even think we were over the Midwest yet. And oh they were out of, uh, out of beer. And I said to the guy, I said, do you guys play? And he said, yeah, we do. I said, who do you play with? He goes, we're Billy Ray Cyrus's band. And huh. I said, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and then he leans over and he goes, see that guy up there? And he points to some guy like three seats in front of me. I said, yeah. He goes, he wrote Breaky Breaky Heart. He I'll made a lot damned. of money. I'll be damned. And you see the little girl next to him? She finished all the beer. <laughs> <laughs> she might have. Yeah. It was a it was a fun flight. They were entertaining. Yeah, wow. I that's kind of neat sharing the plane with Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh he wasn't on, just his band. I'm sure he had a much nicer maybe he was in first class. I'm not sure, but the band was going southwest anyway. Well, I thought you said he pointed to the guy and said he wrote a, oh, he wrote the song. He yeah, wrote, the song right. Yeah, I don't think right, it was a, really, I don't oh, think he wrote you. that one. Oh, cuz I was thinking it was you're talking about him and then I'm thinking so the little girl, he if he was traveling with his daughter. That would have been Miley. <laughs> would have been Miley, right? And he, I could totally picture her at the age of like 11 polishing off a keg of beer. It's funny my my uh 15-year-old actually just uh, played a song for me today, a hip-hop song, and apparently Billy Ray has a guest spot on it, and they're going to release it to country music. Really? Yeah, go figure. He's making a comeback. It's never too late. Not even for us, Hal. It's never too late. No, I, th I think I remember reading something about him, too, like hip-hop. It was, yeah. I'm uh, spacing on the song. Yeah, I just read that yesterday. Old Town Road is the song. Oh, okay. I'm, let me write it down. I'm gonna look that up. I wanna. I wanna yeah, hear Billy it. Billy Ray Cyrus did. They did a remix and, and brought Billy Ray in. So. 
Well, that'd be cool. It's cool. So, have you done anything interesting since I saw you last? Man, I tell you, I'm uh, still playing and writing. Um, still love it. And, you know, my whole philosophy on life is I'm one of these where uh, the problem with the road for me is if I go out too long, I get homesick. But if I stay home too long, I get this wanderlust. So, I've, I've kind of reached this point now in my life where, you know, I like being able to pay my bills. That's a nice thing. You know, long gone are the days of having to sleep on somebody's couch. But... I also don't want to see the next 30 years planned out. So right. for well, me, you know, it's those all days of... of couch surfing could come back any minute. <laughs> they could, yeah. <laughs> they could. I think it was Todd Snyder, oh, who uh, a singer songwriter out of Nashville, Todd Snyder. Uh, one time he asked somebody how to, how to write good songs. And they said, uh, you have to keep, you have to have everything that you own ready to pack up and move out within 15 minutes. And you have to keep your life in a situation where you might need to execute that maneuver at any point. And uh, he says, I've gotten really good at writing songs. But uh, I don't I don't quite like that kind of discomfort anymore. No. But uh, <laughs> but I like, at the same time, I, I don't want to know what's happening a year in advance. So I like to keep having stories, you know, like the stories that we had about uh, being out in L.A. So for me, it's about making sure there's still adventures. And thankfully, they, they still seem to keep coming. Um, I had a significant birthday not too long ago. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly what it was but uh it was significant yeah it might have been 25 right uh, or or twice that but i um i loaded up a party van with a bunch of musician friends and some of my old friends and we literally went in and played gorilla style at like 10 different bars that night so just showed up at these dive bars where you can get like a dollar 50 beer uh and nothing but locals uh we showed up unannounced and went in and played a set and just had a, a grand old time if, if only for the story huh. it was either epically stupid or epic i'm still not sure which the jury is still out, but we, we had a good time anyway. Did you bring a tip jar with you at least? We should have. No, we didn't actually do that. Um, but we, we got paid in beer all along the way. So, Or actually, after after talking with um, Johnny Rockmore, I'm thinking, did you did you bring a plastic gas can with you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. You know yep. what I did? I actually went on Google, Google Images, and I, I Googled gas can. And I found a nice image of a red gas can, and I photoshopped it with money coming out of it. I'm going to have a page on my, like the sponsors page or how to support this podcast with a, that image on it. And then when, it, when you click awesome. on it, it'll take you to like my PayPal. So like if anybody wants to help me support the podcast, they'll just click on that gas can. That'll be awesome. I'm I am so excited that you're doing this. And, and I almost feel like a, a re recurring guest, a returning guest, because... Um, I believe I had written an article for the website way back uh, that also told a few stories. So I, I'm so excited you're kind of taking this to the next level and and sharing these stories because I think we've all got them and, and, and you're a great curator of, of the stories for sure. Oh, thanks. You know, actually, you gave me an idea. Um, I mean, I had the idea, but you reminded me just now of it, is that the page uh, uh, on the Little Hanks guy where you wrote your, your uh, you know, your essay, your contribution to the site – you could actually, like, if you want to, or I should say not want, but if you'd be so kind as to record it, like do like an audiobook style. <laughs> All right. And then read those stories. And then I I'll have a that. second, like, a, like it'll be almost there like a go. special episode. The other stories, the ones we didn't get to, or the ones that have already been told. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or the one that like, might slip your mind right now, bring it back up again. Or maybe you just make it like a, a bonus uh, episode or something. 
You know, it's it's funny how the stories just kind of come back into your consciousness. We're um, I've got a show tomorrow. Um, we're playing a benefit for a friend of mine. I, I made a living for a long time with a song about Jägermeister. Um, I'm not proud, but uh, but you know, God bless America nonetheless. Um, and a, a friend of mine who was a DJ is actually the guy that put it on the radio up here in the Northeast. And uh, he passed away a few years ago unexpectedly, had a heart attack. Um, but we're doing a little fundraiser tomorrow uh, for a scholarship in his name. And, and just talking to the old folks who've been around that scene in, in that time and era, um, all these stories of him came back. I remember at one point I was playing on stage somewhere um, and he decided it would be fun to try to pull my shorts down in front of the audience. Uh, oh, thankfully, sweet. thankfully, my belt held because I don't think I was wearing underwear that day. So it would have been quite a show. Um, Is this Kevin? The... Yeah, Kevin the Afternoon Guy. Yeah, was, Kevin the uh, Afternoon Guy. Yeah. A dear friend. I uh, was the uh, afternoon DJ at Radio 104 for a long time up here in, in Hartford, Connecticut, and then also uh, WCCC as well. And Yeah, I saw your man, post it, on Twitter. It might have been Facebook or both, but I remember seeing the post the other day. Yeah, yeah. He also, uh, when that song started getting played up here, they used to bring me out to some of the bigger shows and they'd roll me out to do my one song. I, I could do a couple of my other ones too, but as long as I did the Jaeger song, they let me do some big shows. And, and the first time I ever did a big stage was uh, Earth Day, I think in 1997, perhaps, uh, mm-hmm. in Bushnell Park in Hartford. And it was like 20,000 people. And I'm up there and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous because I'd never been in front of a crowd that big. And I'm, I'm playing my Jaeger song and all of a sudden, the crowd starts to cheer. And, and as a musician, you're kind of, you're, you know, you're performing, but you're also observing at the same time. And I thought, well, that's a weird place for them to suddenly start to cheer because it was like right in the middle of a verse. And I didn't say anything particularly amusing or profound. And, right. uh, and then I looked to my left and my friend Kevin, the DJ, is there holding up a bottle of Jägermeister. Uh, and I'm like, well, this, this won't end well. And he proceeded to pour it down my throat right in the middle of the song. Yeah, and I'm sure you were such an unwilling participant, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I I do what I can. Please don't pour that Jägermeister down my throat. I'm in the middle of a song. Okay, all right. (laughs) I ended up up getting the nickname the Jäger guy, and I literally could not play a Borders bookstore without people bringing out little shots of Jägermeister. I mean, it was was everywhere, every time I went somewhere. Well, that's what I call you. I I mean, when, when I put this podcast up on the show notes page, that's going to be the the subtitle, you know. It'll be like Lee Totten, the Jaeger guy. Yeah, that's hey, you know what? It's funny. I remember uh, when I started playing the bigger shows and doing the Jaeger song because I, I always considered myself a more serious singer songwriter. Um, I had you know songs about my feelings and emotions and stuff. But but when you're out playing, sometimes you just have fun and and, and play whatever. Uh, and I remember when when Radio 104 asked me to start doing some bigger shows, I was nervous because I, I didn't in my mind, I didn't want to be Weird Al Yankovic. Right. And I felt like if I do this, I'm going to be known as a comedy writer. And really, I again, I have these serious songs, man. I was an English major. And I called up a friend of mine, a guy named Keith Gard, uh, who used to manage Aerosmith back in the day. And I said, Keith, I said, I'm, I'm really nervous about this. You know, they've got the song, the Jägermeister song, and I don't want to be Weird Al. And, and But they want me to do these big shows. And he said, Lee, he says, do they do they, you know, play your song every single day on every radio station across the country? I said, no, it's just here in the Northeast. He goes, do people come out and see it because of the Jaeger song? I said, yeah. He goes, can you play the rest of your songs after you play the Jaeger song? I said, yeah. He goes, you are lucky to have anything that people want to hear. Don't be afraid to be the Jaeger guy. Embrace it. And yeah. it was uh, it was a valuable lesson. I feel you. I needed to hear it. Yeah, I experienced that with Must Have Had a Great Time last night and with I Met Santa on the internet. I have a couple songs that are kind of, you know, 
make you smile. Santa's a classic, man. That's that. That is one of my favorites. Oh, it thanks. is a, a, a holiday so, you know, tradition in the Totten household. Yeah, and it cracks people up. And then I go try to go into a serious song, and, and like people don't realize that I changed modes, and they're like laughing at songs that I never meant to be funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you you know as well, and this this is not really a story, but um, it's always interesting to me as songwriters, especially with more serious songs. We sit down with a with a specific idea in mind of what we want to say and what we're trying to express, um, and and often we put our own personal stuff into that song, and then it goes out into the world, and, and people attach to it in different meanings. You know, they they have a line that resonates with them, and they take a whole different thing away. Uh, I remember I had a song one time called "Standing Still" that was about the end of a relationship, kind of, you know, the, the relationship had lost momentum. But my guitar player thought about it as capturing a moment in time, and he wanted to use it as his wedding song. And I, wow. I was like, huh. good luck with that. But <laughs> Well, look how many people, uh, politicians, wanted to use Born in the USA by Springsteen, went, thinking it was like a, a patriotic song when it, yeah, it was an anti-war song. song. And it's like, Absolutely. what do you want to use that for? Yeah, I, I've come to realize, though, that if we, regardless of what we intend when we write, I think as long as we write truths, um, that's what people connect with, you know, yeah. and, and, and they they do personalize it. And there are lines. And I guess that that's that's what we can hope for. It's the songs almost become theirs once we put them out in the world. And, and I'm OK with that. Yeah, you know? I, I, there's a, like a Web page that I found, you know, because I play a lot of wedding ceremonies and whatnot. And so people request songs that they want you to play for the ceremony. And there's a whole web page somewhere I, I came across dedicated to songs that people request that should never be played for a wedding ceremony, but people interpret it differently than it was written, or they just never really listen to the lyrics. And then they hear it, they're hearing it for the first time, really hearing the words at their ceremony. <laughs> Absolutely. Like... <laughs> yes. Well, Sting used to talk about every breath you take. Um, as he wrote it as a very possessive, scary song. And uh, and he says all the time, people want to hear it at their weddings. <laughs> and he's like, okay. One is, I, I had this song one time that I wrote. I actually wrote it in a parking lot on a Monday night. Um, it was a song called Highs and Lows because I had, the day before, I think I had played a, a big Radio 104 show and people were asking for my autograph. And it was, you know, it was a felt like a rock star for that one day. Uh, and the next night, I went up to a small coffee house in Northampton, Mass., and and they had an open mic. Um, and I had a bunch of friends there, and I wanted to play this coffee house. And if, if you got the gig, they didn't even pay you. They would put a yellow Tonka truck out in front of the stage, and that was sort of the tip jar for the evening. <laughs> so I, I went to this open mic, and it was... You know, it was a bunch of 16-year-old kids at the open mic because it was a coffee house. And they were playing 23-minute songs with no discernible chorus, all about teen angst. And, you know, I go up there and I do my three-and-a-half-minute kind of acoustic pop songs. And and I just, again, played for 15,000 people the day before. And I went and talked to the owner and I said, hey, man, I'd love to get a gig here. And he, he looked at me and he said, well, come to a few more open mics and we'll see if we can work it out. And I walked home that day thinking, man... Yesterday, I played for 15,000 people. Today, I can't get a free gig playing for Tonka truck money at a coffee house. And I thought, if that doesn't sum up the music business and the highs and lows that go with it. Yeah. Um, but the, the funny part was, like, a year and a half later, I'm playing the song Highs and Lows, and I'm doing the chorus. And I was opening up for friends of mine in a dance band. And uh, and I'm the acoustic guy, which is it's not an enviable position to be the acoustic guy opening up for the dance band. Because they're there to dance, and I'm an acoustic guy. So... I'm doing this song, Highs and Lows, which is pretty upbeat. 
And I noticed these two girls in the front row were kind of dancing along. And I thought, well, that's cool because th- that never happens to the acoustic guy. I mean, people don't get into folk music to, to pick up girls. Right. You know, there's a reason there's not a, such a thing as a folk star, but there is a rock star. So <laughs> I get done my set and I walk off stage and the girls walk up to me and they said, hey, we had a question for you. And I thought, well, this is cool. They're interested in me. And they said, uh, that last song you were singing, in the back of my mind, I'm going, ah, they're interested in my music even better. They said, were you really singing eyes and nose? And I realized then that they weren't that interested in my music. They thought I was singing a Barney song and that they had heard <laughs> highs and lows as eyes and nose. And that's what they were singing to. But they probably would have been just as happy if you busted into the Jaeger song because you're not really just any old acoustic guy. You're the Jaeger guy. Uh, yeah, I and should that have would done have been the, the way song. to let them know that. Yeah, I should have I should have done that first, probably. I learned that lesson a while later. Um, I got a chance to open up a show for Vonda Shepard. She was the lady that had that Ally McBeal song. And it was in Hartford, Connecticut. And it was like a 1,500 people seated audience. And uh, and I go out there and, and I do a couple songs first. And, and, you know, the crowd is okay. And then I did the Jaeger song. And you could literally see the ripple of recognition through this crowd in Connecticut as people like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. And then every song I did afterwards, they were totally into. And it made me realize that sort of once they have that familiar feeling, they're open to whatever. So I, I guess you should always open with the Santa song. I met Santa on the Internet and just go from there. Yeah, but. not necessarily, because sometimes if they are familiar with your stuff, you want to save that till last or they'll stick around for it. That's, that's what I've always thought. But, you know, I like I said, my experience was that they were so much more open to all my other music once I played first. Right, but, right, uh, yeah. It's, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. It depends on the crowd. Yeah, of course, the other thing is that if you have a song that everybody knows, sometimes they get sick of hearing it. I remember, uh, like I said, this radio station would roll me out to do that one song. And at one point, I finally got a write-up in the Springfield, Massachusetts newspaper. A guy by the name of Donnie Morehouse wrote, Lee Totten, Time to Find a New Song. And I was like... Well, at least he wrote about me. Yeah, right. Yeah, but you know that's not that that works both ways too because sometimes you're pro, you're projecting. In this case, it's not true because somebody else actually came out and said that. But in a lot of cases, when you think when you're thinking it, you you might be projecting that. Oh, they're sick of this song. You're you're projecting that onto the crowd because if Jimmy Buffett stops stopped playing Margaritaville because he was sick of it, people would stop coming to see him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've got a bunch of friends in his band, and uh, he actually calls them the, the seven player get killed songs. Um, and and I, right, I guess I yeah. feel the same way about the Jaeger song. You have to play the Jaeger song. But, I, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed this too, though. I mean, it doesn't matter how many times you've played a song. If the crowd is into it, it feels brand new in that moment. You yeah, never every get time. Sick exactly. Of, yeah, yep. never get sick of singing a song that the crowd is into. Right, because you don't ever get sick of that energy that they give back to you yeah it makes it fresh comes from playing it yeah it makes it fresh i think i'm actually think i'm doing the yeager song twice tomorrow so uh (laughs) we'll see what happens (laughs) the early version and then the late version okay i'm not going to advise you either way on on doing it twice in the same day (laughs) i think i'm doing my set and then it's a charity event so there's a bunch of bands i think i'm doing my set and then later on we're doing a yeager meister promotion so i think we're going to roll it out um, it was actually funny. I, I got a chance to do a couple of shows about a month ago uh, with a, a thing called Hitmakers and Rum Chasers, which is a, a group out of Nashville um, that puts together these singer-songwriter nights, uh, a lot of Nashville writers, and it's for charity. And so they played up in Boston at City Winery, and the next night we were down in Maryland at a place called 447, which was a really, really cool venue. And uh, and 
you know, and I thought, this is great. I'll go out and do my thing. And I figured I'd play the Jaeger song. But it wasn't until I got there that I realized that, like, all of the other writers on this night had written massive, massive hits. You know, one of the guys, uh, J.T. Harding, wrote Smile with Uncle Cracker. I mean, these guys are all, and I'm up oh, there. Oh, that, you know, that's I'm up the there doing the Jaeger my song. existence, you know, because I have a song I wrote years ago called You Make Me Smile, preceding Smile by many years. And I'm like, God damn it. I'll ask JT if, you, if that's what was inspiration. There might be a royalty in there somewhere for you. No, I don't know if they've ever heard it. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking like somewhere along the line, maybe my demo got out there. And, but in, then again, you can't really put a, a, a copyright on a yeah, title. And the word title. smile is very universal. Everybody writes about smiles and, you know, smile though your heart is aching. And when, Yeah, I remember when I was 15, I... Uh, I, I called a friend of mine, or 16, and I said, hey, man, I just wrote this song. It's it's kind of like a, a John Mellencamp feel, and I call it Small Town. <laughs> he goes, really? <laughs> I said, all right, all right, you're right. I should probably try something different. Yeah, I think so. But, yeah, I mean, and it's it's easy to do, you know, especially with common words like, like smile or uh, – I wrote a song after the earthquake, in the, the Northridge Quake. And uh, I just kind of wrote it to cheer people up because uh, I was joking that I thought my girlfriend and I had caused it because <laughs> we had just started going out at the time. So, you know, you know how it is. I do. The Northridge quake was reported to be a 6.6 on the Richter scale. So I wrote a song called 6.6 on the Richter scale of love. I like so, the title. Yeah, it's good rockabilly. I mean, it's, I just wrote it just, just to cheer the customers up. I played it at my open mic night. You know, that Sunday I, I, I came out with the song. I made a little demo of it. But anyway, uh, about six months later, somebody said, you know, I think George Strait stole your song because he wrote the song about an earthquake. And I'm like, you know what the odds are? First of all, I don't think he heard my song. And I heard his song, and it doesn't sound like a ripoff of mine at all. You know, he may as well say that uh, he ripped off uh, Carol King, you know, I feel the earth move under my feet. It's like, just just because you're right about a quake doesn't mean he stole somebody else's song. Oh, absolutely. So you I know, assured I, him, no, George Strait didn't take, get my, the, he didn't get the idea from me. Yeah, and I think it's, you, you know, I, I feel like I'm a pretty prolific writer. And even then, I've probably only written about 150 songs over 20 something years. Um, these Nashville guys and even the pop guys in LA, I mean, they're writing every day. They're writing one to two songs. So it's inevitable. We're all going to end up crossing the same themes over and over yeah, again. Exactly. Meanwhile, there's George, only so much George experience and listening there. to this podcast right now, rubbing his hands together. Going, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> now there are a few cases of songs that I've heard where you think absolutely it was, uh, they were inspired very heavily by something else, you know? Yeah. I didn't... But you know what? On the other hand, there's a guy that thought you wrote a song that George Strait wrote or covered. So that's, that's, oh, that's yeah, a that, compliment in a lot of ways. Yeah, that could be. Except I wrote it like the very day after the quake. There wouldn't have been time for me to hear anybody else's earthquake song. Yeah, well, but, you know, who knows? You, he, you could write for George Strait. That could be the next move. Okay. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I'll, I'll be on the plane the next morning. I was a, a very good friend of mine. A guy named Ralph McDonald was actually the songwriter who wrote "Just the Two of Us." Yeah, and he um, he was telling me about how when Will Smith did a cover of that song, um, he was watching Will on TV talk about how he wrote the song, and and Ralph was like, 
that guy's on TV saying he wrote my song. And so he called up his lawyer and said, uh, you know, I don't like this guy saying he wrote my song. And it, it turns out that Will had not gotten permission for the masters. So the, they didn't have the sync rights to be able to do the, the just the two of a sample that they used. And his lawyer said, Ralph, where is it at in the chart right now? Ralph goes, it's like number four. He goes, let's wait a few weeks before we bring that up. And sure enough, that song went to number one. And <laughs> Ralph looked at me and he said, made a lot of money off that guy. I think they got all, I think they got all the publishing on it. It was a gold mine for him. And that's the way it happens sometimes. So how about you? How, you, how often do you write? Do you write a lot of, uh, like daily or do you have a, a, a regimen of some kind? Uh, you know, it's, it, it tends to be in spurts. I, I, I'm trying to write more regularly. Um, I really want to get another record out. It's been too long. I had to put up the first two records. I had a third record that I was ready to record, and then I had blown my voice out. Um, and, that, and that ended up sidelining me for, for a good 10 years, um, just trying to get that back. And so now I'm I'm setting that aside as a lost record. I've got the demos, but uh, just, you know, it's it's usually three or four times a week, sit down and try to try to get this collection of songs whittled down into something meaningful. Um just really trying to, to push myself as a writer and, and keep doing it and trying to write some stuff sort of outside my normal stuff, things that maybe I wouldn't even sing, but just again, for the exercise of stretching that muscle. Now, are, um, are, you, are you on a label or self-published? Self, all, all my own right now. Okay, cool. Yeah, but it, it's so nice to see even how much has changed, you know, since Little Hang Skied. I mean, the, the, there's so much that you can do as an independent artist now that you couldn't do before. Yeah. Um, and, and in some ways, I like that because it really comes down to can you write good songs and can you go out and put on a good live show? And, and that's how you have to build that audience. You know, right. you can you can I know a lot of guys that make a decent living that aren't signed because they they put on great live shows and they put out great records. And, and you can do that now. And I don't think that was necessarily true 20 years ago. No, yeah, a lot of a lot of people doing it all on their own, and that's great. But it did totally disrupt the the music industry. Absolutely, and I think we're still seeing the disruptions. I mean, streaming is is making a lot of money for the labels, but I don't know that it's making a lot of money for the artists or the writers at this no, point. On, and, yeah. and that's something or, that's got to be publishers. changed. The, they're they're like it's um, they're, they're cutting out a lot of people that used to make a living in the music business. And that includes the writers and a lot of cases the artists as well. Yep. Oh, that's that's why I'll still go out and support indie bands and I'll buy the tickets even if I know the band. I mean, we've all got to do our part to to keep that part of the music industry alive. It's it's such an exciting time right now because with the internet you have so much reach and you can discover so many cool bands. Um, but at the same time, it's it's harder and harder to cut through the noise. And so if you find somebody that you like. You got to go out and see them. You got to go out and support them. And, and again, I'm I've got kids now, and it's it's a little harder to go out until two a.m. and especially when it's three hours from home. But you know what? Uh, you got to do it to support the music. There's still nothing like being in front of an audience and seeing a band uh, play their hearts out. Yeah, how old are your kids? Do you, uh, do you have to leave them home, or you can't take them with you yet? The two that are home still, I can I can leave them home. So we're we're fortunate. It's, you know, fifteen and twelve, so they're able to stay home and do their own thing. So we can get out and go see some music in Boston or New York, which are both pretty decent drives, but, uh, you know, a couple hours, but at the same time, that's where most of the indie bands that we like are kind of are playing these days. So, and are either of your kids, uh, pick up the guitar or the piano, you know, piano. 
You know, my my 15 year old was actually a pretty decent drummer, but apparently he's more interested in baseball and flying, which, you know, I, I get. So like flying airplanes and the, the 12 year old does like, a lot wait, of writing, you, like flying the kind with the remote control thing or, or no, actually like gets he wants in... to get his pilot's license when he's 17. So uh, he actually goes up in small planes. and So he's flying uh, for reals. OK. Yeah, it's amazing to me. I did. Uh, I got a drone. I had a drone, so I was flying the drone for a little bit. They take beautiful pictures, you know. I tried that once and got it stuck in a tree. So that was the end of my flying experience with the drones. My drone was pretty expensive, so if it gets stuck <laughs> in the tree, I will. It's I will not good, do yeah. whatever it takes to get it back down. I have learned there are some things that that musicians are just not that great at. The other is anything athletic. Uh, we were. I was in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, in February, and actually ran into a tree. And just about knocked myself out. Thankfully, I didn't. But, you know, again, this is this is why musicians shouldn't be running. We're better in a studio with a guitar or on stage. or <laughs> Just leave us alone. Yeah, we were in our own little world. I, I, my brother used to introduce me as a, um, the bench warmer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> he was really good at sports. And I, I was the one who just pretty much just kept the bench warm. They they put me out in, a, in a, an extreme emergency where I would miss a fly ball and then get put back on the bench. I, I remember one time, I think one of the few times I played Little League, I remember getting hit in the head with a fly ball. Oh. And, uh, yeah, and crying like crazy and, and not sure what to do about that. I was, again, I have all the athleticism of a musician. It's just, uh, it's not a pretty sight. But, you know, I can spend hours in front of a computer working on a song. So I guess we all have our trade-offs in life. Yeah, exactly. I remember one time, my girlfriend at the time, um, she said to me, do you see yourself at the rest of your life sitting there in front of the computer? And without missing a beat, I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> Absolutely. And she still stayed with me. I don't know why. But, anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, over the years, you know, I just it, it it's a prophecy that came true. I spent a lot of time in front of the computer. As we speak, I'm in front of the computer talking to you on Skype and watching the little meter go back and forth. Yeah. Well, but again, it's it's opened so many doors. I mean, if it weren't for computers, I would have never met you that first time. We would have never had that connection. A kid from Connecticut playing music and a, and a guy in L.A. playing music. I mean, it's um, it, it, there's a lot of good to it, um, but I think that you also have to follow it up with the, I'm so glad we were able to meet in person and, and, and I was able to play that show with you. I mean, that's, as I get that older, that's pretty cool. The way the internet made that possible. Absolutely. I, yeah, I struggle with now is trying to make sure that I get out, um, it, it, even with Facebook or, or Instagram, it's so easy to follow people and never reach out personally. And so I'm trying to do a better job of reaching out once or twice a month to people that I, I follow and just to have that real connection. Because uh, I've had a few friends that have passed away that uh, I should have, I wish I'd had a little more time to talk to them. So yeah, glad that's why, glad we get to do this after all these years, get to talk and share some stories. Yeah, same here. And, and you know, getting back to like that the whole thing with um, you know keeping in touch or reaching out to people, the problem is the same thing that makes it so great is also the, the thing that makes it so daunting because you can easily follow a rabbit hole. You click on a link and then you get distracted by another link. And the next thing you know, you don't even remember how you got there. You know, it's funny. I see the same thing with with even like Pro Tools. Um, I've been trying to use that as a tool to to record more demos, and it's always it's so easy to get caught up in the technology that you have to step back and go, all right, remember what this is about? This is about writing songs with a guitar. 
The Pro Tools is just a mechanism to record that. But don't lose sight of the fact that this is about, you know, writing songs and then going out and playing shows. The computer helps that. You know, you're. Uh, I'll see it with websites. Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to get my website in shape recently, and it was, it got to be a little too much. And I'm like, you know what? The website is just a way for people to find information. It's not. That is not the same as going out and playing a show. And you have to keep your focus on what's important. Now, I've, I've played a few shows that maybe uh, the website would have done more. I played a funeral one time. Nobody claps when you finish your songs. It's a little depressing. Uh, I played a charity dog show one time, and they literally, in the middle of a song, the guy came up to make an announcement, and he said, just keep playing that part over and over again. And I was literally <laughs> background music while he made his announcement. So I was like, okay, that's a little different, but... So, but, uh, but again, we've got to remember that it's, this is, in the end, it's about making those connections with people. It's writing good songs and then going out and playing shows in front of people. Speaking of shows, you have an electric and an acoustic version of your band? Because I noticed on, on your YouTube videos, I I saw two different incarnations of the Lee Totten band. Yeah. You know, I did, the records were all full band. Um, and we used to go out and do a lot of band shows. These days it's mostly acoustic. Um, I've, I've kind of. Some of that was a choice. Uh, back in the day, some of that was economic. It was much easier to go out as a singer-songwriter. Um, but now it's really kind of a choice. I love to keep the acoustics sort of at the center of what I do. And and I just, I always feel like if a song can work acoustic, you can always add more to it. But uh, these days, it's mostly me. Uh, and then occasionally a bass player come out and play as well. But uh, I'd like to do more more full band shows just because like, you get more stories out of those. It's always an adventure. Oh, is that what it is? More stories. I personally like uh, I like them both, but I think I prefer the the sparsity of the acoustic shows better. But that reminds well, I enjoy, me. I enjoy the I enjoy the challenge as well. Of, of it's, I'm one guy out there, and I have to go win over this crowd of people that have no idea who I am. And I've got to do that simply on musicality and entertainment value and pure gumption. You know, there's something fun about stepping off that ledge each time. Did you? <laughs> Sorry to bring this up. I think it was maybe eight years old, eight years ago, according to the video. It looked like an eight-year-old video, maybe older. Did you like get your, let your hair get like really, really long and then like shave the side? Was that you? <laughs> it's much older than that, actually. Yeah, I um. We were we got asked to do a television thing, like some public access television song, and uh, yeah, the video I, was like really, really. Oh, hard. it was embarrassing. Yeah, there's there's one up there from the Paradise. It was actually like the third or fourth show I ever played with the band, and for whatever reason, I had thought it would be cool to shave the sides of my head, and uh, it wasn't until I saw the photos and the videos that I went, well, that, that wasn't really that good an idea. Actually, I mean, the, the look is good. It's a great look. It's just that, but I'm like, but it's not for the you. 90s, it was great for the 90s. I don't know that it's good nowadays, but. Yeah, well, it depends on the kind of music you play, but it, it's like not your persona so much. Like, like not the, it's any, a great not look. Anymore. Although I still do crazy stuff to my hair. I, I think it's just the creative nature of, of, of being a musician. You, you, you get very bored very easily. And, and uh, the, the folks that do my hair are always like, oh, what are we doing this time? I'm like, well, I got a show. Let's put some streaks of color in it and let's see what we can do. <laughs> so, do you ever bleach just, it out or bleach parts of it out and then streak that with like I, I did, a neon you know, I, green or purple or something? I actually had dreadlocks for about six years. And, uh, and at one point I decided it would be cool to bleach the, some of the dreadlocks. Um, I, I don't know that it was as cool as I thought it would be, but it was pretty entertaining. 
Uh, what was funny at the time was I, I had the dreadlocks and I was known for a song about Jägermeister. And I swear, people literally thought that all I did all day long was get stoned and drink Jägermeister. And, you know, and you try to explain, well, no, I'm like, like, I got to make a living as a musician. I got to book shows and I'm traveling. And No, no, no. Dread, never dreadlocks in the Jägersong, that. man. No, let, no. see, because the, then you're working against that look you work so hard to attain. Don't explain anything. Just let them think that. Absolutely. That's the whole I point. Did. I did write a song about the fact that uh, the, the question you always get asked when you're out on the road is, what do you do all day? Like, I, we see you show up like 8 o'clock and you play for like 45 minutes or an hour and a half. What is it you do all day? So I wrote a song about it. Yeah, even if you're going to night school and to become like a doctor lawyer, you don't tell them that. You're just like, <laughs> yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. What one, do you think I do all day? The experience that I had with the, the song on the radio was interesting because it was, again, you, you realize there's a difference between your experience as a musician and, and people's experience when they hear you on radio or see you on television. Um, they feel like they know you. I mean, they hear you in the middle of the day, in the work day, they, they take you home with them. And then you go out in public and see them and, and you have no idea who they are, but they feel very familiar. And I thought... It's got to be really hard for for guys that are are really famous. I mean, I was again locally, people knew who I was. But if you're if you're Steven Tyler of Aerosmith, you know that sort of the fans' familiarity with you and that one sided relationship has got to be tough to navigate. And I imagine, especially if you're a young artist, it's got to be really hard to to balance that sort of fame with the idea of you go home and your wife's like, I don't care who you are, take the trash out. <laughs> Yeah, your wife forgot what she loved you for in the first place. Now you're just the guy that takes the trash out. You yeah, my wife nasty. at one point. I remember she was. She was. Somebody asked, you know, about our life, and she said, "Oh, my my, my husband's this guy Lee Totten, the Jaeger guy." She goes, "No, no, I'm married to Lee Totten. The Jaeger guy is what he does when he goes to work. <laughs> They're not impressed anymore." Oh man, it's come to that. Always, but that's all right. You yeah, keep, I know. You, you persevere. You keep playing. Yeah, actually, there comes a time where you have to embrace the fact that you have like a home life and you don't have to be the Jaeger guy. You can just be Lee Totten. Yeah, and I think that's what I said about about finding the balance of of I, I enjoy being able to pay bills. It's a it's a nice thing, but at the same time, like I said, I, I just don't want to see the next thirty years planned out. So I, I got to get myself down to Philadelphia, and we got to go out, and I got to come to your show, and and we'll see what kind of trouble we can get into. I'm not likely to get into as much trouble as I was the last time you saw me. <laughs> you know, having having gone through the whole cancer ordeal and all, it took a lot out of me, man. And it's I funny because I could, I could rock out with the best of them. The only thing is, before I could do it the very next day and the day after that. And, but now, I could put on a great show and then four days later, I'm like, okay, I think I can go out again and do it. Man, I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> that dive bar tour I did for my birthday, it took me a solid three days to recover. And we didn't even drink that much, but it was just six hours of being out and playing music and, and drinking along the way and then getting home at 3 a.m. I was. Uh, I don't think people yeah. really, really know, like, unless you're a musician have done it, people don't know how much energy the human body exerts when you sing and, and play and entertain. Because it's um, it's not just singing and playing, It's there's this exchange of energy and whatever is coming back to you you're putting out that and then some and uh, if you get to a point where like people aren't responding and you're still putting the energy so that you're not getting any back you're not refueling it 
Oh, my favorite is, is, you know, after the gig, when you're driving home or even when you get home, I mean, I, I've, I've been known to stay up for two or three hours because you have so much of that adrenaline. But then when the crash comes, you are out cold for a long time. I mean, there's there's a reason that sometimes musicians sleep until 11 or 12. It can once that adrenaline comes out, you're just exhausted. But back in the day, I could party. I don't know if I ever told you the Grammy story. What Grammy story? <laughs> I may or may not have started a fire that ended a Grammy party. I, I'm not sure to this day. Go ahead. <laughs> so, when I, with the Jägermeister song, I was sponsored by Jägermeister. So, the, so the, the deal was I was a voting member of the Grammy, so I could get tickets. So I would get us tickets to the Grammys. The Jäger guys would come out. And, uh, and they had a very loose corporate culture at Jägermeister, as you can imagine. And then they would get us into the after parties. And so in this particular year... Uh, there was a big party MCA was having and Red Bull and the Jaeger guys were very close. And so they said, come to this MCA party. Snoop Dogg's going to be there. Before we could go, uh, the Jaeger guys had to hit another party um, where they were sponsoring it. And it was in this fancy hotel called the Argyle right on Sunset Strip across from the old Hyatt house. I know the and, Argyle. Uh, sure. Yeah. And I was not invited to that party. So I'm hanging out with an actor friend of mine, a guy named Kelly Perrine. And we're sitting there. And, uh, and he said, you know what, we should just go to that party. I said, but man, we're not invited. He goes, let's just try it. So we walk across the street to the Argyle, up this red carpet. People are taking our picture, even though they know any idea who we are. I mean, Kelly was somebody. I was nobody. We get to the front of, of the red carpet, and there's this line of computers. And the woman says, can I get your name? And he says, Kelly Perrine. And she puts his name in. And, of course, she says, I'm sorry, Mr. Perrine, I, I don't see your name on here. And he said, and I've, I've thought, of course, we're not invited. And he said, well, you know, uh, so-and-so was supposed to call over. And whatever he said worked. They let us go into this party. And the first thing I see is some guy that looks just like Jimmy Jam. And I realized it actually is Jimmy Jam. Sure. So we're at this party. Tell the guys from Jaeger we're there. They can't believe we got in. We're hanging out. I'm drinking with the president of, of BMG North America, doing shots with him. I had no idea who he was. Uh, hanging out with a bunch of other bands. The guys at Vertical Horizon were there. We're doing Red Bull. We're doing Jaeger. We're doing Grey Goose Vodka. We're having fun. And right about then, my friend says, we should go to that other party. I said, all right, cool. I'm, I'm ready to go to another party. So we start to leave the, the Argyle, and I walk past Carlos Santana. And this is right when Smooth was big with the Rob Thomas thing. Yeah. And I and wow. I and it was an industry party, and I don't you know if you've never been to an industry party, you know folks are a little more chill because there's no fans there. It's all label guys and musicians and, and it's just industry right. folks. Yeah, so much more relaxed. There yeah, so I peers. thought well, I'm going to go tell Carlos Santana what a big fan I am because it's it's a small event. So I walk up and I said, Mr. Santana, I'm such a huge fan. I just want to tell you I really love that song you got. I must have gone on for about 12 minutes because at that point I was pretty pickled with Jägermeister and, and Grey Goose Vodka. Oh and I realized that I was shaking Carlos Santana's hand well past the point that he was comfortable with it. So my <laughs> friend grabbed me. We made our exit, went to this other party. It was this fancy house in the Hollywood Hills. They had a, a big tent over the driveway and lots of Red Bull. Snoop Dogg wasn't there, but we had fun. And my, my friend Kelly was hitting on girls and... I keep drinking, and, and I realized at some point that I had gone well past the point that I should have with the drinking because I, I went to go lean up against the pole to wait for a moment, and I missed. I missed the pole completely, fell down, stood back up, vaguely remember hitting something with my shoulder. Some guy grabs me, starts yelling at me. Another guy goes, no, it wasn't him. I kind of see smoke. My buddy Kelly comes, says, all right, I'm ready to go. So we, we leave the party. I throw up out the side of his Range Rover. I wake up the next morning at like 8 a.m. in the Hollywood Hills at his fancy house with nowhere to be until like 6 o'clock the next day. 
uh, and I am hungover. And the last thing I want to do is hang out at Kelly's house because I feel so bad about throwing up in the Range Rover. So I go from Carl's Jr. to Carl's Jr. all day long. Weeks later, I'm at home and I email the guy from Red Bull and said, hey, man, thanks for getting us in the party. We didn't see Snoop, but it was a great party. He emails me back and he goes, oh, did you guys get there before the fire started and, sh- and they shut the party down? And I'm like, the fire? In the back of my mind, I'm like, I remember hitting something. I remember smoke. I remember somebody grabbing me. To this day, I still don't know if I started the fire that shut down the MCA Grammy party back in the mid-90s. I may have. I'm not sure. Well, if anybody asked you, just tell them in the words <laughs> of Billy Joel and then just start singing, we didn't start the fire. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, it wasn't me. I'm I'm sure it wasn't me. Nah, but it nah, might have been. But it might have been. So uh, yeah. Um, so I hope the statute of limitations is up. Otherwise, it's going to be a knock on your door. Maybe I shouldn't share that on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, like like you oh, said, wow. there's no way you know if, if it was. Like, like if you had known you'd done something and are admitting copying to it now, that's one thing. But it doesn't sound like you were, were responsible. To be honest with you. But it's good to know that we'll never know. You know, and it just makes the story that much more fun that I don't know. And that's what I said. It's 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 a good story to go. You remember that time when, you know, and that's to me, that's what life is about. I've got that actually tattooed in my right arm. The mystery says, of the Argyle fire on Tales of the Road Warriors. <laughs> I have uh, my right arm. I have t- tattooed, but I'll have all the best stories to tell because I, I really do think that, uh, you know, it's about it's about going out there and, and seeing what we can make happen and, and having those memories. So we'll we'll come up with something. Maybe not that crazy in Philadelphia, but we'll come up with something to have some fun. Oh, I'll, I'll, if you you know, I know where to go to you know make make stuff happen. So yeah, I, I was born I and raised I, in this town. So I think I played. I'll just make a few phone calls. Fest. We'll find out where where to get in trouble. <laughs> I played the Philadelphia Music Fest one time. Uh, this is again probably late '90s, early 2000s. And uh, it was an uneventful gig somewhere. Around, what's the big street down there? Third Street? Is that the one? Or Sixth Street? Where? There was oh, like a, oh, Fourth it, Street, maybe. Fourth Street, yes. Yeah, so I played fourth some, and some, south. some club there. And, and it was a weird gig. It was, you know, music festival kind of thing. So there's there wasn't a huge crowd. But all I remember is we were leaving the show and someone's like, man, the guys from Fastball were here and they really liked you. Um, they never called me. So Fastball, if you're out there, we're still here. If you want to come talk and write yeah. a song together. How can you get there without even knowing the way? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that song, The Way. Did you, man, did you hear that it took me so long to realize that Camila Cabello song she did with Machine Gun Kelly? That, that That's what they're, they're working off that melody in that song. You know um, what I always thought it was from uh, Tom Jones, Delilah. No, it was the, it was, it was from Fastball, The Way. It took me forever to figure that out, but that's a great song as well. Huh. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I just love that melody. That, that's, uh, well, it's, it's no, I met Santa on the internet, but it's pretty good. <laughs> well, thanks. When you went to LA, how, how many times did you go there? I have probably done six or seven LA trips to play shows. Um, I had some family out there. Uh, even when I was growing up, my grandparents lived out there. So I, LA has always felt like kind of a second home to me. Um, and so it was always fun to go out and, and play some gigs there. And I did, I did more than my share of Borders bookstores because uh, those were easy gigs to get once you got in the Borders family. Sadly, they don't have those anymore. Yeah, I miss the Borders bookstores. 
I think I played someplace called the Kit, Cla- Cl- Kit Kat Club on Sunset Strip, which was a really odd little acoustic place, but uh, had fun there. Um, when you were out here, maybe not as a an entertainer, but did you go at all to um, the strip to like the whiskey or the uh, I have the Viper Room? I have. Or yeah, and I would, I, those are places I would love to play just once, just to say I did. Um, yeah. Although, as you know, it seems like when you go to some of these legendary places, you go in and you're like huh, this is just as crappy as that place I played back home <laughs> just exactly. with a fancier name. Yeah, I actually played those places. I was in a band called The Fever and uh, played, a, played a, a couple times, but uh, I don't but talk we, about those can we, times. Can we still find the songs on MySpace? No, no, question. we never put no? them up there. Oh, man. They're, they're not online at all. Uh, That's a bummer. I'd be tracking them down right after this. And yeah, I know. Them on now I'll tell you about it sometime. I, like the all our concerts on are on VHS tape. That's how long ago this was. Yeah, was like in the in, in the eighties. I think you guys. I mean, LA was lucky, and I, I know that that the scene was was very short, and then and then it kind of became a pay to play situation. But you guys were lucky, at least, that there was there was a scene, and I think there's still. So many great groups uh, in L.A., in ter- groups in terms of both musicians and in terms of, of, uh, of people trying to make it happen. There's a group called Kensington Presents. Uh, Kensington Presents. It does a bunch of kind of pop-up shows with artists. And Where are uh, they from? Uh, they're in Los Angeles. Kensington um, Presents. Not yeah, familiar. they do a lot of really kind of cool venues, temporary venues. Um, they've done out- outdoor shows and um, and, and I, I see it even back here. I mean, there's a, there's a group that does a, a, a big music fest out of New Hampshire. How about, um, how about Kulux Woodshed, Lee? Have you played there? I have not. Where's that? Been to, so you don't know about Kulux? I do not. Ah. I, I, I just discovered house parties like a year ago. Ah, okay. Or house concerts. Hi, I, house I wish concerts. I had known about that. Okay. Well, next time you get out to LA, uh, there's a place called Kulux Woodshed. If you go to YouTube, there's probably some archives there. He used to have the archives on the website, but I think he moved them all to YouTube. But it's set up like a like there's couches and chairs and a, there's a bed in there. It's like just this old hippie looking place, and uh, there's an old funky piano in there. And anybody who's like some very prestigious singer songwriters have passed through Kulak's Woodshed, and um, it's always free. He makes money by just passing it jar around he's got a connection to the internet people volunteer to man the cameras so all their shows are broadcast over the web oh that's awesome and uh yeah he's been doing it for years and he used to have this psycho next door neighbor i don't know if he's still there Uh, (laughs) but yeah this guy was like a, a gay porn star who was editing his movies in the office next to kulak's widget oh my goodness and he'd come out and do these karate moves and threaten the people coming into kulaks like, well, who is this guy why is he threatening us what did i do that's he, awesome he hated the music it was always too loud because he was trying to edit his porn porn movies <laughs> oh my goodness that's awesome yeah uh, go go if you get a chance just uh do a search for kulaks woodshed um and uh I'm sure, like, the archives from that whole trial, uh, not trial, what am I, you know, the court case, Kulaks versus this guy. It's some interesting reading. That's incredible. Yeah, I I, I have to look it up. I mean, my whole thing now is I love just still love going to play anywhere I can. 
I'll stand up on a bar t- top and, and play if I need to. I've played a friend's house. It doesn't matter. I a, a couple years ago, I got obsessed with how many shows I've actually played. And I, I think the number I came to is, as of right now, 1,317. And so my goal is to just keep adding on that as long as I can. So uh, I'll pretty much go play anywhere at this point just for fun. The goal is a million. <laughs> I don't know if I can get to a million, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have a party when I get to fourteen hundred or fifteen hundred. So uh, yeah, save work. save the date. We'll find out when that is, but save the date. Make your own milestones. Whatever number yeah. you pick, that'll be the one. That could be thirteen eighteen, and we're gonna have a party tomorrow for it. So there you go, thirteen eighteen party time. <laughs> Break out the Jägermeister. It was easier when I was playing about 180 shows a year. Now it's more like 40, 50. So it's uh, you know it's they don't rack up quite as quick as they used to, but. I think as long as we're still playing shows, you and I both, and having fun, that's what it's about. There you go. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to to many more episodes of this podcast, man. Like I said, I'm I'm so excited that you're doing this and and collecting the stories, and and I've, I've I'm I'm as much a fan as anything else. I've been listening, and it's just uh, been a lot of fun to hear all the other crazy stories everybody's got. So hopefully, if you if you ever have a reunion and get everybody in one place, let me know because I'll be there and we'll we'll come up with a whole bunch of stories that night if we can. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe just make some up. <laughs> we can't exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Did you ever read The Big Man? It's uh, Clarence Clemens' book. I have not, no. Clarence wrote a book called The Big Man, uh, not about a year before he died, about being on the road with Springsteen. Uh, but what he says, he says, uh, some of these stories are, most of these stories are true, but I might have stretched it on, you know, some of them. But uh, it's up to you to decide where I, you know, went off a little bit. You know, it's very funny. But for the yeah. most part, it's like being a fly on the wall, being on tour with the E Street Band. And it's just a great, one of the best rock books I've ever read. That's awesome. I actually am just finishing The Dirt. I finally read the book. And, yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Neil Strauss. Yeah, that's, uh, that has been an adventure and a half. Those guys have had probably 15 lifetimes in one, so... Are there any current projects or, you know, pet projects or any a, a URL or a website you want me to um, make sure I get in the show notes and people are aware of? Yeah, I mean, you can use LeeTotten.com, obviously the website. And I think all my socials are at the Jaeger guy because I, I have fully embraced the Jaeger guy. So um, I'm just uh, said writing a new record and, and going out and playing and hopefully coming to a town near everybody at some point. Hope to see you when you get to Philly, and it was great talking to you, man. Man, thank you so much for this. Like I said, it's uh, we've known each other a long time, and it is so nice to reconnect and to talk with you, and, and I'm so proud of you for, for doing the podcast and getting all these stories out there. So thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Well, that wraps up my little talk with Lee Totten. Actually, it was a pretty long talk. Uh, don't forget to visit the show notes page. It's at talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash Lee dash totten remember if you have any comments please leave them uh, on the show notes uh, in the comment section or visit the tales of the road warriors facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash tales warriors speaking of fun woke up on the kitchen floor breath smells just like cow manure what i did last night i'm not sure thank you jaegermeister i want to thank you thank you thank you jaegermeister